Amen. Please be seated. Well, my heart goes out to the entire Stanton family and the major family. To you, Carlita, and all your children, Craig and Katrina and Brent and Helen, and all the grandchildren and Carol, the sudden loss of our dear brother Bernard. I feel the pain of a sudden loss as my mum... April Johnston passed away late yesterday afternoon. And so our heart goes out to all of you. I wrestled what to do concerning the sermon. It was about five o'clock I got the news. But I decided the best place for us to be after such a loss is in church with the family of God. And also to preach the goodness of the Good Shepherd from a heart of grief, knowing that He is sufficient to sustain that heart. And so may our time together this morning be not about us, but about the goodness of the Good Shepherd. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 as we begin. And I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word once again. Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. You may be seated. As you know, we're in the Gospel of John, and so I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. It's where we find ourselves this morning in our journey through this Gospel. We have seen from this portion of John's Gospel, John 10, what is called the Good Shepherd Discourse, where Jesus spells out in no uncertain terms that He and He alone is the one true shepherd sent from God, and He is at the same time very God Himself. You remember when we began John 10, it all began with that figure of speech in the opening six verses, and we drew certain things out from there. You recall those 
three heartwarming truths that we pulled out as Jesus began. He said that he is altogether opposite the false shepherds. He is the one true shepherd who is by divine right sent by Yahweh. We saw also that the only true shepherd, he therefore possesses an effectual call that he makes to his sheep whom he knows personally. When he calls his sheep to come, they will come because it is an effectual divine call. And we saw third, the wonderful reality that Jesus having called us, he then goes on ahead of us as our shepherd. He has experienced everything that we will experience, everything that we face and we will face, He has already faced. And in that, He is able to fully sympathize with us in our time of suffering and in our time of sorrow. He's able to shepherd us to greater ways of handling our experiences and heartache and sorrow in this life. And then last Lord's Day, we dug down into verses 7 through 10 to see what Jesus meant by calling himself the door. We saw that what Jesus meant there was that through him alone is access to true and lasting salvation and true and lasting satisfaction. Jesus spoke about there being thieves and robbers who come with their false doctrine to hinder true salvation. And there certainly are thieves and robbers who come with false promises to hinder true satisfaction. We saw that we need to come to the door. We need to come through the door. The door is Jesus. For in Him is life, He said. He said it is life abundant, eternal life, as well as life in satisfaction, in surplus. You remember that word means surplus. And you remember that we lay hold of that satisfaction in Jesus as we remain close to our shepherd. And how we remain close to our shepherd is by being close to his word and close to his church. Not forsaking the reading and preaching of his word and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as a church. Because that's the idea of what's going on to come in and out and find pasture. We feed on Christ by the private reading of the word and we feed on Christ in a very unique and special way in the preaching of his word and his word is preached where his saints, his precious sheep gather together as one flock. We find in all of that our soul food. Well, this morning we come to the final part of this single portion that are the first 18 verses of John 10. That's a single unit. The Good Shepherd discourses in those 18 opening verses. And these really are special days to be sitting under John 10 and the Good Shepherd discourse. As we all, myself included, sit under the preached word, both the congregant and the pastor, because we are very needy sheep. We need more and more of the good shepherd's voice. We need more and more of the good shepherd's food. We need more and more of gladness about our Savior. And so this morning, in verses 11 to 18 of John 10, we are going to see three more very simple, yet when received in the heart afresh, very heartwarming truths concerning Jesus so as to drive us to greater gladness in our God. Greater gladness 
in our God. Our God who is revealed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. And so if you're taking notes this morning, we will see number one, Jesus died for us in verses 11 to 13. And number two, we'll see that Jesus loves us in verses 14 to 15. And then third, we'll see that Jesus unites us in verses 16 to 18. He died for us, He loves us, and He unites us. And so let's read our passage this morning. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not an owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep i am the good shepherd and i know my own and my own know me even as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep i have other sheep which are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment. I received from my Father. Let's pray. Father, we come as your sheep. Some of us are far from your shepherding voice and your hand. Turned aside, wandering, distracted. Some of us are right by your feet. Some of us are everywhere in between. Would you take your word and bless it to our hearts? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the great Puritan preacher Thomas Watson, he's from the 1600s, and he's an author of a book. If you don't have it, you really need to get it it's called a body of divinity he said quote every line of scripture has majesty shining in it every line and jesus christ is the very centerpiece of the gospel if the scripture is the field christ is the pearl in the field and blessed is he who finds this pearl 
The scripture gives various descriptions of Christ. Sometimes he's called a physician. He's the great healer of our souls. Sometimes he is called a captain. Hebrews 2.10. He is the captain of our salvation. And here in the text he is a shepherd. And this shepherd has a flock. Thomas Watson said the death of the shepherd is the life of the sheep. End quote. In these verses today we see Jesus label himself as the good shepherd. And his words here really serve to highlight for us that this good shepherd can be known and worshipped in number one the giving of his life for his sheep and number two his knowledge of the sheep and the love he has for them and the love that he receives from them as their shepherd. As the good shepherd of our souls and over our daily lives, Jesus Christ is characterized by his very purposeful, individual watchfulness over us and his very tender care for us. You recall that the, the remark that we looked at last Lord's Day from Jesus that I am the door was the third I am statement by Jesus. And this morning is the fourth of seven statements Jesus makes to inject divinity into his claims. You remember that Yahweh in the Old Testament says I am who I am. Jesus as Yahweh says I am seven times. The Old Testament is replete with verses that speak of Yahweh as Shepherd, Yahweh as the one who rescues sheep, Yahweh as the one who saves them and feeds them and shepherds them. And so Jesus as Yahweh incarnate came into the world with the great purpose to give us life and give us life abundantly. This is worthy of praise and worthy of gladness in our hearts and worthy of reviving gladness that may have been misplaced and lost as other things come in and cloud that. Psalm 79 verse 13 is a great little verse to that end. Listen as I read that for you. Psalm 79 verse 13. We who are your people and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever we'll be glad we will be glad and that is what is essential to see in John 10 all of scripture really but God wants us to be glad in Jesus satisfied in Jesus and not in our salvation as it were but in the one who is our salvation our shepherd the Lord Jesus and as I trust as we walk through our outline and passage this morning your heart will be presented with three truths that will make your heart glad life's too short to not be glad in Jesus We need to always remember the good news. It's very good news. And so let's begin. As we see first, that as the good shepherd, number one, Jesus dies for us. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at the end of verse 15. 
Jesus says again, I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at the middle of verse 17. I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down. Jesus is revealing his heart here. To die for his sheep. I need you to understand that this was not normal for the shepherd to die. This is not something that was in the thinking of the people at the time. In fact, it was understood that the shepherd would live for the sheep, not die for them. On occasion back then, the shepherd would die while defending the sheep from wild beasts. You go back in 2 Samuel, I think it is, and it'll tell you that there was lions and wolves. The heart of the shepherd was to live for the benefit of the sheep, not die for them. And so Jesus is not like any other shepherd. Right? He's not a shepherd. He is the shepherd. The good one. He's the good one. And I want you to really see and feel the difference here. As I explain to you God's economy of love and grace and wisdom in all of this. You see, from an earthly horizontal Perspective, a shepherd ought live for his flock. They need his care. They need his protection. They would be in great danger if he was no longer there for them. And yet, for us, Jesus, the good shepherd, dies. He dies because we were in great danger. Normally, a shepherd would live because the sheep are in great danger. God's economy is that the shepherd dies because we were in great danger. You think, no, he must live because we're in great danger and we're in great need. But no, he dies because of our imminent danger. Both that there was wrath upon our head and the price of sin had to be paid and there was a judgment to come. And also... That there are wolves in sheep's clothing who can deceive us unto death. And so being innately aware of that immediate danger, Jesus dies for his sheep. He dies to save them. He dies to rescue them. He dies to wash them clean. He dies to plant in them rivers of living water. He dies to place them in fields of green pasture where they want to run. But as we read in Psalm 23, he makes them lie down. He makes us lie down. It is in His death that we find benefit. For in His death, He atones for our sin. And in His death, He applies to us His perfect life that He lived, which He lived in full obedience to the law of God, which therefore earns for us a righteousness not our own, that we could never earn, that we are then clothed with, and which God, when He sees us, looks upon us. And that's why when God looks down on His sheep, He sees great delight. And so God works in a very mysterious and strange and in many ways counterintuitive way in redemption where the shepherd who is to live actually dies. And the shepherd actually dies as a sacrificial sheep. 
God's economy. The shepherd dies as a sheep, as a lamb. This is exactly like how Jesus is presented in the other Gospels. It struck me when we went through the Gospel of Mark, for example, that Jesus is both the priest who presents the lamb, and at the exact same time, he is the lamb itself. Our good shepherd dies a death, and his death is to atone, and he atones as the lamb of God slain, who takes away the sin of all his sheep out there in the world. As we think about the good shepherd dying for his sheep, there are two very important aspects to Jesus laying down his life, which we have to consider. Two aspects, and they're under two words. One is simpler than the other. Voluntary and vicarious. We need to consider these two aspects of Jesus laying down his life. First, Voluntary. Jesus laying down of his life as the shepherd of his sheep was altogether voluntary. Voluntary by definition means, quote, proceeding from the will or from one's own choice or consent, end quote. That is to say, Jesus parted with his own life freely. He did so from his own will. His will in accordance with his divine essence as the eternal son. And also his will in accordance with his humanity as the one sent from the Father taking on a human nature obedient to the Father's plan of redemption. Moved and motivated by triune love, the good shepherd voluntarily lays down his life. As has been well said, nothing could have forced Christ to have died for his sheep, but his great love for them. There is simply no way for you and I, the sheep, to live but by the death of the shepherd. The bishop J.C. Ryle said here, quote, The point before us is of great importance. We must never suppose for a moment that our Lord had no power to prevent his sufferings, and that he was delivered up to his enemies and crucified because he could not help it. Nothing, Ryle says, could be further from the truth. End quote. Please understand that Jesus did not risk his life. Please understand that Jesus is not a victim of a loss of life. Jesus gave his life willingly. You know, the Lord Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. Jesus continued on. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because all the things I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Remarkable words from our good shepherd. We are saved once and for all through the once and for all voluntary death of Jesus Christ. That's voluntary. The second aspect 
of Jesus laying down his life that we need to consider is that more difficult word, vicarious. Not precarious, but vicarious. Vicarious, by definition, means, quote, participation in the experience of another. I want you to look again and notice that little word for, F-O-R, in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That word, it's called a preposition, that word is only ever used in John's gospel in a sacrificial sense, in a vicarious sense, most often in reference to the death of Jesus. The word means instead of or on behalf of. If you took that aspect of our faith away, on behalf of or in the place of, if you took that away, you simply wouldn't have anything in Jesus. There would be no life, there would be no atonement, there'd be no forgiveness of sin, there'd be no eternal life. It is in that one little word that separates Christianity from the world and Christianity from every other religion in the world. Only we have the idea of Christ doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. No matter how it is packaged and what it looks like, Every other religion in the world says, I did this. Go and ask them. Why are you right with God? Because I did this and I did this and I did this. Only Christianity says, I could never do anything. Jesus did it for me, instead of me, on behalf of me. Isaiah 53, we read it just before. Let me add emphasis. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Yahweh has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Written 700 years before Jesus walked this earth. And if you are not a believer here this morning, you've got to do something about that. The Good Shepherd did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He died in our place for us. He partook in the experience of another You and I were meant to experience what he experienced, but he took it for us. We no longer experience what we're meant to experience because he took it for us. The wrath of God, the judgment of sin fell upon him so that it will never, ever fall upon us. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for The good shepherd dies for the sheep. That's the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He, that is God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, throughout the history of the church volumes have been written on the nature and the extent of the atonement of Jesus Christ numerous theories set forth from a mere moral example of Jesus that's devoid of any atoning sacrifice to so-called absurd cosmic child abuse of father towards son 
Notable authors of best-selling books, even in our current day, reject that Jesus died as our substitute. You'd be surprised who believes that, by the way. Yet Scripture is clear. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It really is the great exchange upon the cross. My sin for his righteousness. The great motivating factor for the good shepherd to voluntarily lay down his life for the sheep on behalf of the sheep is his love for the sheep. You look at verses 12 and 13 there, Jesus used the illustration of a hired hand. He uses that illustration to show just how much of a good shepherd he is and how much he loves the sheep. The hired hand loves his life more than the sheep. But Jesus loves us, his sheep, more than he loves his own life. Jesus loves us and that's what we see next in verses 14 to 15. Second heading, that as the good shepherd, Jesus loves us. He loves us. Look what he says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The word know is a word to convey experiential knowledge. Jesus has experiential knowledge. He knows everything we're going through at any given moment. He innately, awarely knows us. I know you're sitting there thinking, well, he's not a word because it's not. He innately is aware of us. He has deep affection and love. And just like there were two aspects in our first heading, there's two aspects to this love that we need to consider. First, I want you to know that this love is intimate. It is very intimate. It would not be a stretch to word Verses 14 to 15 this way. I love my own and my own love me. Even as the Father loves me and I love the Father. The hired hand did not love the sheep. The false shepherds did not love the sheep. Isaiah 40 verse 11, speaking of Jesus, says this. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. One author noted, quote, Christianity is not merely being saved from sin and death and judgment. It also means having a living shepherd to guide you and feed you and heal you and protect you. If you've entered through the door of the sheep and you've heard the call of the good shepherd, then be assured and be reminded and be certain of his great love for you. Is your heart broken this morning? Mine is. 
Know that you are truly loved by him. Is your world in pieces today? Know that the good shepherd will guide you and put you back together. Jesus' love for his sheep is an intimate, individual, caring, nurturing, providing, leading and guiding type of love. We are, as he says in verse 14, his own. He calls us his own. But also, look, he says, my own know me. He knows us and he says there, my own know me, my own love me. We as his sheep know him as our shepherd. We love him as our shepherd. We long to be more and more intimately acquainted with our shepherd. We long to be always laying hold of that satisfaction that the shepherd was sent to bring us, fighting off that which lies to us like thieves and robbers to offer us satisfaction that never provides any true and lasting satisfaction. You see, to be a Christian is to be in love with the good shepherd. The intimate love that Christ has for us is evidenced in His care for us. And I trust you can look back over your life and you can see the loving care of the loving shepherd as he has led you and protected you and provided for you. And he had all that in mind long before you and I were born. Long before you and I were born, the good shepherd was intimately acquainted with you and I. Jeremiah 1 chapter 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This love from Jesus to us is intimate. Therefore, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there is nothing that can snatch you out of his loving and providing hand. The second aspect of this love I want you to see is that not only is it intimate, very intimate, it is also equivalent. Equivalent. Look at the first two words of verse 15. Even as. Even as. Jesus is making a comparison. This is a mind-boggling remark. It'll take you a while to get over it, but that's okay. But don't ignore it. Plumb the depths of it. And when you think you've plumbed the depths of it, go deeper still. Even as, even as the Father loves me, and I love the Father. What's he saying? He's saying this, that as the good shepherd, I love them with a love that is same, the same as that which I share with my Father. There is a love that is bestowed upon every one of his sheep that is so rich and so deep and so, so strong that it is compared to that 
of the love between the eternal Father, the creator of the universe, and the eternal Son, the creator of the universe. That is mind-boggling to consider that we would be involved in and that we would experience in that kind of love. That the love between Jesus and us is grounded upon the love between the Father and the Son. Never feel unloved ever again. Even in the pain and the trial, always remember that Jesus' love for you is not grounded upon you or what you have done or haven't done. But is grounded upon an eternal, unchanging, unending love between the Father and the Son. The Father sent the shepherd's Son from out of His love. John Owen said that for the Christian, the greatest sorrow and greatest burden you can lay on the Father... And the greatest unkindness you can do to the Father is to not believe that He loves you. Here in our passage is the Good Shepherd, and He loves us. We've seen this morning that Jesus truly is the goodness and love of God revealed because He dies for us and that He loves us. The third and final truth is found in verses 16 to 18. And it is that as good, the good shepherd, number three, Jesus unites us. He unites us. Look at verse 16. He says, I have other sheep. I've got other sheep. They're not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see the gospel go from the Jewish ethnicity out on the heels of great suffering and persecution by the disciples and the apostles. And it's carried along by the message of those suffering disciples and the suffering apostles who are persecuted. And it goes down through time, ever present day, the gospel goes forth and lost sheep from every ethnicity around the world are called by the good shepherd and they come in and they are united. When Jesus spoke these words in the beginning of John 10 that we've considered in last Lord's Day, he speaks of the Jewish people. He's talking to the Jewish people when he talks about the sheepfold. And when he says here, I have other sheep, he's talking about other nations, the Gentiles. And what certainty, I want you to see it there, what certainty our Lord speaks with as the shepherd who has that divine effective call, effectual call, where all those who are called will actually come. Look again at verse 16. He says, I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock and one shepherd. There is no doubt 
It's certain. He will do it. And then in verse 17, we see something truly remarkable. Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. One commentator rightly remarked on this quote. Follow with me. It is not that the Father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life on the cross and rise again. That's how we can think that at first blush. It is not that the Father withholds his love until Jesus agrees to give up his life on the cross and rise again. Rather, the love of the Father for the Son is eternally linked with the obedience of the Son to the Father. His utter dependence upon Him, culminating in the greatest act of obedience that is now just before Him, namely, the willingness to bear the shame and the humiliation of the cross, the isolation and rejection of death, the sin and curse reserved for the Lamb of God. That's why... The Father loves the Son because He was obedient. He was dependent. And then we have verse 18. Jesus says, No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And this commandment I receive from my Father. The good shepherd lays down his life so as to take it up again. For the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, death was not an end in itself. And as has been well said, his resurrection is not some kind of afterthought. No, the death of Jesus Christ was always with the resurrection in mind. In his rising again is our uniting to God and to one another. Because by his resurrection, we are resurrected, resurrected unto newness of life. And in his death and resurrection is our union. We have our union not with just a dead Savior, but a living and resurrected Savior. And we are united to a risen Savior. We are united to both God himself and to one another. The good shepherd's Resurrection ensures we have a living shepherd who is alive today, intimately acquainted with all our ways and actively involved in every area of our life. His death was not a mistake. His death was not a mishap. The Father gave the Son all authority to live and to die and to rise again so as to gather us and Unite us. He is so very good and he does all things very well. You know, in Scripture as a whole, God the Father gives us a wider, deeper view of his Son as shepherd. In John 10, he is the good shepherd. 
In Hebrews 13, he is called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, he is called the chief shepherd. And that's the very point of focal point of Jesus' ministry and who he is. And it's been rightly said that as the good shepherd, Christ dies for the sheep. That as the great shepherd, Christ rises from the dead that he might serve the sheep. And that as the chief shepherd, Christ will return to reward his sheep for their faithfulness. In 1 Peter 5, he is called what he is there as a motivator for under-shepherds to be faithful. Well, in many areas, we're all under-shepherds. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I'm a father. All of us, in various roles, play the role of under-shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears... He will reward us for our faithfulness. I want to kind of apply all of this this morning under one idea. And it's the word good. I am the good shepherd. Kalos is the word in the Greek. Kalos. Being the good shepherd obviously speaks to a contrast. If Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, it's because there's those that aren't good shepherds, and he's spoken about those, the leaders of Israel. So it certainly has the aspect of contrast, kalos, good. His exclusivity, that he alone is the good shepherd. But there's another aspect to that word kalos, good. And it pertains to his excellence. That word good can mean beautiful properties of excellence. Our good shepherd is the one true shepherd, but he is altogether excellent. He's altogether beautiful. He's altogether glorious. He's altogether majestic. He's altogether holy. He is altogether worthy. The Apostle Paul, who the shepherd had ordained, would be a voice to carry the gospel message to the other sheep that he speaks about here. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that it's the love of Christ that compels me to no longer live for myself, but to live for him who gave his life for me and rose again. The love of the good shepherd should cause us and motivate us to greater measures of faithfulness in our life. He is worthy of us forgiving one another. He is worthy of us opening our Bibles often. 
He is worthy of us pausing to pray. He is worthy of us gathering together as a church. He is so worthy because He's the Lord Jesus. He's the Good Shepherd. And He loves us. And I just want to say to you, take comfort if you're one of His sheep. And run to Him. Often. Because He hung upon a cross. He laid down His life out of His love so as to unite us to God and to one another. If you don't know this good shepherd, prove yourself to be one of his sheep by hearing his voice this day and coming to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and thank you for this portion of scripture. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in it. Lord, we are needy people. Help us to live in light of the goodness, the excellence, the beauty, the properties of excellence in our Lord, your Son. We pray for anyone here that today would be the day of their salvation where they would lay hold of true satisfaction. And their heart would be warm, warmed more and more by these truths, that he dies for us, that he loves us, and that he unites us. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.